Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone with a long concern about the industrial use of genetically modified organisms, GMOs, or if you want to use the language of the previous president, biologically engineered bee food. So uh, today's show is all about bee food, and it's not as nice as it may sound, GMOs. Um, and with us is one of um, one of the best people to talk about GMOs, uh, Ken Roseboro. He's the editor and publisher of the Organic and Non-GMO Report, and that you can find more information at non-gmoreport.com. Welcome again to uh, Food Freedom Radio, Ken. Great. Right. It's great to be with you again, Laura. Yeah, thank you so much. Now, uh, yeah, it's, it, I think this is your third time on the show. Um, but give us a little background um, about yourself. Yeah, so I've been um, editor, and as you mentioned, editor and publisher of the Organic and Non-GMO Report. We're celebrating our 20th anniversary publishing this year. So, and we've been focusing on organic and non-GMO um, markets and issues since 2001, and particularly focusing a lot on the genetically engineered food issue and the controversy surrounding that and um, uh, with GMO labeling and, and uh, the, the growth of the non-GMO market that has emerged because of concerns around GMOs. So, um, yeah, so... 20 years on. In 20 years on. And I want to talk, talk more about that later on. But, you know, we do have a, a big piece of good news. Um, is that So what's happening in Mexico? Yeah, Mexico, um, back in December, um, the Mexican government was, is the National Commission for Regulatory Improvement in Mexico's government, confirmed that they were going to phase out the use of both glyphosate herbicide which is the main ingredient in Roundup herbicide, and also genetically modified corn for human consumption uh, in Mexico. And both of these announcements are, are huge. Um, Mexico is the center of corn diversity, and so I think one of the things that they're trying to do is protect you know, the genetic diversity of, of corn from incursion of genetically modified organisms. Yeah. So, and, you know, and it's, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, many, 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 many humans um, believe that uh, corn is sacred and it, it is its own life form. And so for the last, I'm quoting a little bit from a Greenpeace um, news release, you know, for the last 25 years, Greenpeace Mexico has carried out together with various farmers, organizations, consumers, academic researchers, artists, and intellectuals, this, this um, um, solidarity with with the corn plant. Yeah. Yeah, it's Mexico has produced I don't know how many different varieties of of corn, so it's a real it's the center it's the center of uh, biological diversity for corn basically in the world. And um so they want to protect that and and so right now Mexico is importing a lot of GMO corn from the US and in fact back in 2001, it was discovered there was um, genetic contamination of of indigenous corn in in Oaxaca, um, a state in Mexico. They found that some of the corn had been contaminated by GMOs. So, so there was a big uh, movement in Mexico to ban 
ban GMO corn. And this, this decree that, that was announced in December actually um, bans the import of GMO corn from the U.S. Oh, wonderful. Which is, which is huge because Mexico imports a lot of GMO corn from the U.S. So and it, it, will t- it, um, it will be phased out. The imports will be phased out no later than January 31st of 2024. Um, so how do you yeah. think this decision in Mexico might affect um, U.S. corn farming? Well, they're going to lose a big market. Um, Mexico is a significant market for, for U.S. corn, or southern, uh, southern neighbors. So um, they'll have to find other markets um, for GMO corn. Uh, and those markets have, have narrowed because Europe does not buy any uh, GMO corn from the U.S., um, so, so the U.S. is just going to have to find other markets or farmers will have to switch to non-GMO corn if they want to sell, sell to Mexico. Yeah, switch. And I know you've had a, a beautiful story, um, on your website, um, about, um, you know, there are a lot of people that are working on corn seeds that are not GMOs. Yeah, yeah, there's breeding, um, initiatives going on, including in, with organic corn varieties, um, Iowa State University. Um, I'm based in Iowa, so um, Iowa State is the land grant agricultural school here. They have um, a, an organic corn breeding program, and I'm seeing um, there are smaller seed companies, non-GMO corn seed companies, that are emerging to um, to meet the demand for farmers who want to grow non-GMO corn because. Um, Farmers are switching to non-GMO corn because the price of non-GMO corn seed is about half of what it costs for the for the GMO seed, and um, so farmers save money that way. And in talking to some farmers who are who are using regenerative um, agricultural practices, which is a big trend right now, mm-hmm. they're saying they don't need the GMO traits at all. So there's no need for them. I know, and uh, uh, David Montgomery um, has a couple of uh, books out. And, and anyhow, um, that one of the emerging good pieces of news is that farmers can actually make more money <laughs> with the regenerative, healthy soil, healthy water type of way of producing food. And so, if the as the as that revenue model um, can help shift. I, I want to back up a little bit because maybe somebody listening doesn't really know what GMOs are. So what are GMOs? GMOs are, these are plants that have their um, DNA altered. Um, scientists in a laboratory are taking genes from, from things like bacteria or other plants or animals and inserting them into the DNA of food plants like corn and soybeans. Um, those are the most common genetically engineered plants, corn and soybeans. And with corn, they've taken genes from a bacteria, um, Bacillus thuringiensis bacteria, that um, is le- lethal to certain pests, and they've inserted them into the DNA of corn plants uh, to make the, the corn plants insect-resistant. So... A, a certain pest like a corn rootworm will eat 
part of this corn plant and it will kill it. It makes it basically makes the whole corn plant a pesticide. Um, so that's with corn and with soybeans, genetic engineers engineers have altered the DNA of soybeans to make them tolerant to sprays of Roundup herbicide. So farmers can spray, can plant these, they're called Roundup Ready soybeans. They can plant these soybeans, these GMO soybeans, and spray their fields with Roundup herbicide to kill the weeds, but they won't kill the soybean plants. So those are the two predominant GMO, uh, genetically modified traits. So what... What are the what are the problems with that? I know they're many fold, aren't they? So let's let's just kind of give an overview of all the problems that's yeah, resulted. Yeah, well, this. yeah, sure. With um, with the corn, because the plant essentially the GMO corn plant essentially becomes a pesticide. There are threats to to the environment and human health. Um, a study came out came out. Back in late in the late 1990s, showing that this BT corn was lethal to um, uh, caterpillars, monarch butterfly caterpillars, that if they chewed chewed on uh, GMO corn, it would it would kill them. So there was a big controversy about that, and um, and then also in, in 2000 there was some of this BT corn that was meant for feed use got into the food supply. And this um, particular GMO corn called Starlink that was approved for feed use but not food um, was found in a bunch of corn products. And there were people who, who reported um, allergic reactions to this corn. Uh, significant or allergic reactions. So that caused a huge recall of all these corn products that had this starling corn in it. And there have been other studies over the years that have found that uh, this GMO corn um, is not is lethal to certain soil microorganisms, soil fungi that are beneficial, beneficial uh, soil fungi. Um, and, and so I'm going to hop in here because there has been um, almost an explosion of information about the human biome. And um, a few weeks ago, we even had um, um, Achieving Cures on, and um, people are being healed. And I'm going to use the um, the common name for it, but like fecal transplants, one name for it, but it's actually a microbiome transplant. But the point is, is that life is far more complex than science scientists who were leaving these GMOs reduced it to 30, 40 years ago. Um, and I know um, we're going to take a break here soon, but there's also a new report out about how uh, the GMO system may really disrupt our microbiome. So what what's going on with that type of research? Yeah, well, they're finding that uh, glyphosate herbicide, which is, as I mentioned, the main ingredient in Roundup, Monsanto um, Monsanto's Roundup herbicide um, disturbs the gut microbiome. Um, and, and we're going to we're going to take a break, and then but when we come back, we're going to talk more about the microbiome and uh, more about GMOs and some about the good news that's happening. Mexico's banning Mexico's banning GMO corn, yay! Um, and then we're going to also talk about salmon and uh, what's happening there. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM nine fifty. 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish seeds of change. And today we're talking about GMOs. Um, and uh, with us is Ken Roseberger, Rosenboro. Um, he's the editor and publisher of the Organic and Non-GMO Report. Um, welcome. And when we went back on break, we were talking about um, the microbiome and the problem with GMOs and how it could impact, impact our microbiome. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um well, glyphosate herbicide is used extensively with genetically modified crops, particularly soybeans. Um, and these soybeans are grown on millions of acres of U.S. farmland, and millions of pounds of glyphosate are being used. And as a result, it's ending up in a lot of foods. Um, and and also, um, it's in the air, it's in the water, and a study was just published. It was an environmental health perspective that found that glyphosate um, disturbs the gut microbiome. And even at, do- at doses that regulators claim to be safe. And we're, as you mentioned, we're learning a lot, learning more about the gut microbiome, although we still have a lot to learn. But um, they're finding that imbalances in gut bacteria, and the microbiome contains a lot of uh, bacteria, beneficial bacteria that are essential for health. And they're finding that imbalances in gut bacteria have been linked to diseases, including cancer, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and depression. So this study um, it involved feeding rats some uh, water that contained very small doses of, of glyphosate and Roundup herbicide. Um, doses that, as I mentioned, claimed to be claimed to be safe, and they found that even these low doses caused disturbance, disturbed the gut microbiome of these rats, and that has you know huge implications for for us. Um, and they even found that that. Within 90 days, the study went on for 90 days, they were starting to see adverse effects in the rat's microbiome with just within 90 days. So yeah. um, and, and it's the, a very you know, disturbing study, especially because glyphosate, as I mentioned, is used so widely and it's being found in a lot of food products that we are consuming. So it's getting into our gut microbiome. And I want to talk about um, how we can possibly I- avoid this, but um, the glyphosate. But so basically, glyphosate works by making the um, stomach of insects explode. Is, is that a accurate description? Well, that's that's what the GMO corn does. Yeah, that's what the yeah the, the GMO corn does. So if but, we're if we're making all our corn plants so that other life forms, um, other beings eat that, and then their stomach explodes. Um, how can we not connect that to the fact that that might cause us problems in our gut or our stomach? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are. Yeah. Some scientists feel that that the GMO corn could be causing uh, leaky gut problems. You know, because it has that effect of disrupt disrupting the gut. 
And, and now with this study with glyphosate, there's another, um, another indication of that this herbicide is disrupting our gut bacteria and having negative impacts on our health. Um, so, and it's, as I mentioned, it's hard to avoid glyphosate when it's in so many foods, although the best protection from that is probably to eat organic, um, because, uh, organic farming production prohibits the use of glyphosate and other synthetic, um, chemicals, synthetic pesticides. So give us some tips on how to, uh, how to avoid, um, glyphosate. Well, eating organic, um, is the main, uh, is the main way to avoid, um, eating foods with glyphosate in them. So, um, just buying organic and And buying, uh, foods at your local farmer's markets and, and, uh, just looking for the uh, the organic seal on food products. And again, for uh, 20 years, you've been doing the non-GMO report, but you also have something on, on non-GMO sourcing. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. We have a, a directory we publish every year called the non-GMO source book. It's a directory of suppliers of, of non-GMO and organic seeds, grains, food ingredients, animal feed, and food products. And... Um, we have there's about 900 companies that are listed. The non-GMO market has just grown tremendously over the past 20 years. When I first started publishing this directory, directory we had about 200 companies listed, but now there's more than 900, um, and it just shows that um, people are concerned about genetically modified foods and they're looking to avoid them by purchasing non-GMO, non-GMO verified or non-GMO project verified foods. So I want to make sure we get in talking about the, the labeling and the problems around there, but also some new f- information on the salmon. So tell us about what's going on with salmon. Yeah, there's a genetically modified salmon that has been developed um, by a company. Aqua, Aqua Bounty Technologies has uh, developed a genetically engineered salmon. They took genes from a couple of other other fish species and inserted them into the DNA of salmon to make the salmon grow to market size twice as fast or three times as fast as conventional salmon. So um, the salmon is actually scheduled to go on the market um, in the first quarter of this year in the United States. But fortunately, a lot of major retail chains, retail retail supermarket chains, including Albertsons and Aldi and Kroger, Hy-Vee in the Midwest, Whole Foods, Target, Walmart, Costco, have said they won't sell this salmon. I want to say thank you. I mean, I, I want to, I mean, yeah. you know, wonderful. And again, I get to what a moral hazard. I mean... I half mean this as a – I don't know if I should even joke about this, but like in The Lord of the Rings, it's the orcs and they're changing the – the. I mean this this just feels outrageous to me that yeah. any, any so-called for-profit or any type of capitalism model feels it has the moral right – to go into the uh, to to the ethic to the DNA of uh, creatures that have been living for millions of years. I mean, yeah, it is shocking. And knowing their track record of being so wrong, 
I mean, humans once upon a time used uh, uh, gallons of mercury to harvest gold. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that is the human being. That's 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 what we've been doing um, to ourselves and to the planet. And and so now we're going into salmon to make them grow twice as fast, maybe three times as fast, and half the time, so that we can make more money. Is that what's happening? Yes, exactly. That's that's exactly what's happening. And there are concerns that the salmon will escape into the wild and breed with other salmon and, you know, basically contaminate um, wild salmon populations. And as a result of that threat, um, companies that, you know, salmon salmon companies, some companies that sell wild salmon um, on the market um, oppose the introduction of this GMO salmon because of that threat. We're going to talk some more about that. We're going to take a a break. And, uh, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the wonders of plant-based beef foods and what could be better. But now there's a lawsuit against the FDA for its approval of the GMO ingredients in Impossible Burger. So we're going to come back and talk about that. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone who's for a long time been concerned about the industrial and commercial um, exercise of um, uh, genetically modifying other life forms. Um, And we're talking today with uh, Ken Roseborough. He's the editor and publisher of the Organic Non-GMO Report. Report. Welcome back um, to Food Freedom Radio, Ken. Thank you, Laura. Thank Great you. To be here. Yeah. So, um, you were. So, tell us a little bit. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us are moving towards this plant-based diet, thinking it's fantastic. But tell us about some of some of the stuff connected with GMOs and the plant-based uh, food. Yeah. Well, there's. Um, yeah, you mentioned the plant-based food uh, trend is really strong, and there are. Um, well, there's in particular there's a, a product called the Impossible Burger, um, which is a a burger that has the texture and look of a real real hamburger, and this burger is made with a um, an ingredient called heme, and this heme is a it's a color additive to make the the Impossible Burger bleed like real meat. It gives us this red bleed color, bleeding color. And um, this is a genetically engineered um, ingredient. And this this novel product, this heme, um, it's produced in genetically engineered yeast. And this has never been um, in the food supply before. It got F- FDA approval, even though there was a very short-term study done on it, and it's also made with um, soy protein from genetically engineered soybeans. So this product, this Impossible Burger, really is a a a genetically engineered product, and um, there was a lawsuit recently filed by the Center for Food Safety, which challenged the FDA approval of this GMO additive. So um, this just happened within the past month or so, and um, 
the Center for Food Safety has, has raised concerns about this because there was a rat feeding trial with this uh, Impossible Burger, and they found some some problems, um, including disruption of re- reproductive cycles, reduced uterine weight in females, and other indications of anemia, reduced clotting ability, and kidney problems. So the um, this lawsuit wants the FDA to go back and uh, conduct a more extensive uh, study on this uh, this heme, this genetically engineered heme additive, um, to uh, to make sure it's safe. Because right now it's on the market, and you can buy the Impossible Burger in stores. And uh, it's interesting. Um, there's a uh, natural food show that's held every year in Anaheim called Natural Products Expo West. It's the biggest Mm -hmm. natural food show in the world. And this company, Impossible Foods, that sells the Impossible Burger, was exhibiting at this natural food trade show, which seemed to be um, kind of strange that a company selling a GMO burger would, would try to claim that their product is natural when it's genetically engineered. Well, and that's there, – there, there's a real can of worms right there because, I mean, how do we know what to trust and, you know, how to, how to, how to actually have a uh, trusting world? And, and you know, it's, 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 it's tricky. And it, uh, there's also huge equity issues because a lot of people here are really limited on money and, and they want to do the best. They want to avoid factory farming. They, they need protein. Um, so, I mean, it, the consumer is really – not just consumer. I don't want to use that word. I don't want to uh, – but, you know, people. People really want to eat healthy, good food, and they want their children to eat healthy, good food. But how do you know what is healthy and what is good? Yeah, that's a good That's a good point. Um, yeah, with the Impossible Burger, I mean, it's um, – Burger King is selling it. And um, so it's sold widely in food store in retail stores. It does have a genetically engineered. It's got that uh, BE bioengineered uh, logo on it, so people will know yeah. it's bioengineered. Even though a lot of people may not know what bioengineered is. Well, but it, oh, sorry, yeah, let me finish. A, yeah, a good alternative would be um, if somebody wants people want to eat a plant-based burger. Um, there's the Beyond Burger which is non-GMO project verified. It's, it's not made with genetically engineered ingredients. So that would be a better alternative. Well, and, um, yeah, and getting that. So uh, let's just briefly talk about the labeling because this was something that was so frustrating being involved in this for so long because we were, uh, you know, Vermont had passed a, um, a, all these, uh, a, a rule that if you use genetically modified foods, you need to have it labeled. Uh, Campbell said, okay, we'll comply. A couple other companies came in and said, okay, we'll, we'll start labeling this, which I think would have been wonderful because it would have opened the door for um, companies that were not using GMOs. It would create it would have created wonderful, wonderful new markets, but then somehow Congress decided they had to step in and prevent that. Yeah, well, Congress, yeah, uh, Vermont really led the way back in 2016 when they passed their um, GMO labeling law. And um, after they passed that law, that's you mentioned um, some big food companies just started putting GMO labels on their products, saying product is made with genetically engineered ingredients like General Mills and Campbell's Soup and 
uh, Mars Candy, all of a sudden you were seeing products in the stores that had had these labels on them. In fact, General Mills is still putting these labels on their products. Um, but because of Vermont's law, Congress stepped in to create a national GMO labeling law because they were afraid that other states would would follow Vermont, pass their own laws. So they passed a national bioengineered food labeling standard, as it's called, and it's very weak. It's probably the weakest GMO labeling law in the world. There's huge loopholes in it. Um, it allows for up to 5% GMO um, GMO organisms in, in foods, and it um, excludes, um, it allows for uh, exclusions of products that have um, GMO, that are made with GMO ingredients that aren't detectable through testing, which is a huge number of products like uh, GMO beet sugar and oils yeah, and, 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 and a lot of other things. And I've talked, to, I've talked to producers who, you know, have, who do it organically without the bioengineered foods, and then they're like, well, why do we have to pay extra to pay to determine that we're not, we don't have these, you know, whereas the law would have required, I mean, had we kept the uh, Vermont type of um, legal structure around um, GMOs, then uh, the companies that use GMOs would have to spend money to show that they're not using GMOs. I'm not sure if I said that right, but <laughs> I think you get my yeah. point. And, the, and then the right. other the other big thing they did is change the name. I mean, it's bioengineered, so they can abbreviate it as B. BE yeah. instead of GMO. Yeah, I mean, GMO has become very common, a common term that's used, or genetically engineered or genetically modified. So the USDA comes up with this bioengineered, which nobody is familiar with. So they have this logo that, that has BE on it, as you said, bioengineered. And so it's it's just going to create more confusion for consumers. Yeah, um, and I still I still like our local uh, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar, but she was one of the people that stopped um, that stepped in to uh, stop the Vermont law from catching fire in the in the country. So um, I mean that's yeah. that's part of our system why we need to really step up. So. Um, I also, um, I, I know one of the little things I want to get in that you had a, a story on your thing is on potatoes. Um, and one of the people involved wrote a book called Pandora's Potatoes. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, this was a scientist who worked for Simplot. Um, yeah, I wrote an article a few years ago about that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, this Simplot potato, um, it was genetically engineered. It has a... Um, to not to not turn brown when it's bruised. So um, the scientist, the lead, the lead scientist on this project for Simplot, which is a large potato producer, um, he uh, started having misgivings about this, um, and he left the company, and he wrote a book called Pandora's Potatoes about this, and he laid out... Um, potential problems that he saw with this with this GMO potato, that it could create new food toxins or allergens. And um, so, and, you know, and it's, it's a similar story with, with other genetically engineered foods, that um, the, the process of genetic engineering is very risky. It's, it's not precise, as the genetic engineers try to claim it is. Um, 
In fact, I, I interviewed one scientist, a uh, biologist at the University of Michigan, John Vandermeer, who said that genetic engineering is based on dramatically incomplete knowledge of the genome. Right. That, that it's, very, it's a very imprecise pro, uh, process that can disrupt the functioning of other genes and create new toxins and allergens. Almost all um, spiritual and religious and philosophical traditions teach the value of humility. Um, and and really approaching things from a slow, humble viewpoint. And that's not what's um, economically rewarded in our commercial systems. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, there's a bit of arrogance to that, too, that, you know, I've had interactions with some GMO scientists who, um, you know, say their technology is totally safe and and for anybody to raise concerns about it, you know, they're just being ignorant, and that consumers need to be educated about the, the benefits of genetically engineered foods, when, in fact, most consumers are, or have concerns. It, you know, as I read in one article, there's a big yuck factor with genetically engineered foods, that consumers just naturally have apprehensions about it. It just doesn't sound good when scientists are tinkering and manipulating foods in a laboratory. It just turns people off. Well, and the idea that we have to feed the world with this monoculture um, approach, um, which hurts um, water and soil, is foolish. I mean, um, in regenerative agriculture, you put some pigs under some hazelnuts and then you have some um, vegetables grown. That that type of um, regenerative agriculture makes farmers more money, um, improves soil quality, helps the water be uh, cleaner, um, and offers people good jobs. <laughs> And yeah. so, you know, making a shift to that, and, and a lot of the large companies um, are also supporting that. And so, I mean, are, are you optimistic about regenerative agriculture? I am. I'm very optimistic about regenerative agriculture because I, I think it's the, the future. I mean, it's it's the one thing, you know, organic farmers and conventional farmers disagree disagree about a lot of things, but soil health is the one thing that they find <laughs> literally find common ground on. Yeah, and, and yeah, and they um and that's a huge trend right now. Yeah, it is. Health. It is. And we're going to take a break. We're going to take a break. We'll be back for our last segment because that soil health is very much connected to gut health. Um you're listening to Food Fruit and Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking all things GMO, or um, if you want to call it BE, bioengineering, and we're talking with uh, Ken Roseboro. Um, Ken, um, so welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Again, um, Since some, if someone's just catching us now, give us a little bit of your uh, background and how long you've been working on these issues. Yeah, um, my background is in journalism, and we've been I've been editor and publisher of the Organic and Non-GMO Report. It's a magazine that focuses on organic and non-GMO um, markets. And so we've been focusing on these markets and just covering all the topics related to organic and non-GMO production, including GMOs and pesticides, and just trying to provide a 
communications um, voice for the organic and non the fast growing I should say uh, organic and non GMO food markets. Great, and if people want to get your newsletter, um, how do they do that? Um, you can go to our website www.non-gmoreport.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we have close to 900,000 followers on our Facebook page. So, wow. Um, so That's there's great. several ways you can tune in. So we're talking about some of the good news and some of the bad news. And so the good news, Mexico is banning GMO corn, um, and they're also banning the um, import of GMO corn. Um, and you want to tell a story about a Mexico woman and um, efforts. Yeah. Um, there was an um, indigenous woman uh, – <laughs> trying to pronounce her name correctly, Lady uh, Ladai Peck, Pesh, Ladai Peck. She was a, she is a Mayan beekeeper who led a coalition that stopped Monsanto from gene- uh, planting genetically modified soybeans in southern, seven states in southern Mexico. And she was recently awarded the Goldman Environmental Prize for her work. Um, Monsanto, back in 2012, got permission to uh, plant GMO soybeans um, in these seven Mexico states. Uh, I think they're on the Yucatan Peninsula. But um, some of the people, a lot of the people in that area, particularly the indigenous people, were really opposed to it. They saw it as a threat, and um, and this beekeeper... Um, formed a coalition of NGOs and beekeepers and filed a lawsuit against the Mexican government to stop the, these, um, the plantings of the GMO soybeans. And she won. Um, awesome. The Mexican government, the Supreme Court of Mexico, ruled that, that Monsanto, um, that the indigenous communities must be consulted before the planting of these crops and Monsanto's permits were, were revoked. In, uh, in these states. It's a powerful story. And I want to, I, I mean, I, this is both a good news and bad news uh, story, is the salmon. Um, and so tell us the good and bad news so- side around genetically modifying salmon. Well, the good news, um, the good news is that it is being rejected by most of the major retail supermarket chains in the United States. And including just this week, the top food service company in the U.S., Aramark, have said that they won't sell this GMO salmon. So the fact that, uh, and several, uh, two other uh, major food service companies, Compass Group and Sodexo, um, are also not going, not going to be selling this GMO salmon. I know this so one. Fact- this one just makes me so mad. You make a, a salmon grow twice as fast, and half the time you have no idea of what you're playing with. And and to bring that on the market, yeah, you can see how it could make somebody money. But it is not. Um, I mean, I'm I'm just so glad that some of the large players are standing up and saying we're not going to carry that because uh, I can see you know if you want to call them consumers or just people going to the store, it's like oh look, this is cheap salmon. <laughs> I can eat healthy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, fortunately, it'll, it will have to have the label, the GMO label on it, because it's genetically engineered. But, um, yeah, I, there was a lawsuit, and a, and a court, a district court in Northern California, ruled that the FDA's approval of this salmon 
um, violated several environmental laws, including the Endangered Species Act. However, the court said <laughs> the court could not prevent the salmon from being sold in the U.S., so it's going to go on the market um, later, well, in early in this spring, probably the end of March, something mm. like that. But fortunately, all these big supermarket chains are not going to sell it. Yeah, that, that, that's a good, but, uh, and then Arctic apples, they're on the market now. I didn't even realize that, so. Yeah, yeah, there's a company in Canada um, that has developed genetically engineered apples, and these were genetically engineered to not turn brown. So what, what, So they're selling them as, as um, cut fruit, um, sliced apple uh, products that that don't turn brown, and um, yeah, so they're they're currently on the market. Um, they'll have to be labeled as GMO, also. Yeah, or or now they've changed the name to be. So we're down to our last two be. minutes, Ken. Yeah, Ken, and I know there's always so much to say, but um, last two minutes. What else would you like to communicate? Well, I think genetic genetically engineered um, crops. I think they're I think their days are numbered. I think. Um, the, the the trend is regenerative agriculture and farmers who practice these regenerative methods their um, their use for genetically engineered corn and soybeans basically um, is eliminated. They just don't need the GMO traits. They're focused on soil health and and they're also their use of chemical pesticides and herbicides also um, reduces dramatically. In fact. Some farmers who practice regenerative methods, um, their use of the chemicals reduces so much that they they just um, transition to organic because uh, it's so simple for them to do that. So I think that's the future, and I think um, the 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 days of monoculture GMO um, crops is um, is limited. I think their days are numbered. Um, yeah, I, that, that's a wonderful sentiment to end on. And again, how can people find out more about the uh, non-GMO report? You can go to our website, visit our website, www.non-gmoreport.com. Well, I and think... we have articles there you can, you can access to see what our publication is about. You can subscribe to our, our um, magazine. Well, I thank you so much for joining us. I also thank you for your 20 years of work on this issue. And, um, you know, together, let's let's have a world that honors all life. All beans are sacred. Corn is sacred. Salmon are sacred. And our scientists can, uh, can honor that sacredness by going slow and discovering the uh, value of humility. Um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio. Um, I'm Laura Hedlund. And thank you so much for listening. Bring it to the, yeah. One more.